What is up, everybody? Welcome to a special mini episode of Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin, and this is a short stack. It is a short stack. This is a very direct stack. We are going to be talking about one issue and one issue alone here, which is the 2023 Hellfire Gala number one. Oof. Oof. It was a issue released last week by Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Adam Kubert, Luciana Vecchio, Matteo Loli, Chris Anka, Russell Dodderman, Javier Pina, R.B. Silva, Joshua Casara, and Pepe Larraz. And this is an issue that kicked off the Fall of X storyline that's going to be running through all of the X-Men books for a couple of months at the very least, and promises to completely change everything that we've known about the Krakoan era of the X-Men comic books that has been going on for about the past four years or so. Now, a couple of items of business before we get into it. First of all, Mm. you may notice that our third co-host, Pete, is not here for this. Is, uh, yeah. He recused he the X. Yes. He doesn't like the X. He's he, doesn't, the X. he doesn't like the X. And he recused himself for this podcast because he has not liked the Kirk Owen era. He has not wanted to talk about this, but we thought it was totally fair. Would have loved to have him, but we also don't want him to be angry and uncomfortable the entire time we talk about this book. Yeah. So, uh, versus, I think both of us have been intrigued, interested, by a lot of what has gone on in the Krakoa era, this certainly has some big emotional ramifications as well as character ramifications for what's going forward. So we thought it was worth talking about anyway and plumbing into. To that point, if you haven't read the issue, it's been on the stands for about half a week, almost a week at this point as we're talking. Definitely go read it. It is almost 80 pages of X-Men stuff going down, big stuff going down. So this is definitely yeah. a spoiler warning here if you don't want spoilers, if you haven't read it. Don't listen. Turn away. Um, But I want to start with overall general impressions, because I definitely had a very strong emotional reaction when I read this book. As I've thought about it more, some of my thoughts have changed. Some of my feelings have changed. But what was your big takeaway, Justin? How are you feeling about this? Well, I mean, I guess I would just dial back a little bit before, uh, because the Krakoan era was always a big change it was all about sort of the long-term Hickmanification of the X-Men universe, if if we can use that term. Everybody like, uses that term. Everyone uses it, especially Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loves to say that, especially at his own galas, which are a little less awful than the Hellfire Gala, as we're going to discuss. Except galas for that one. Fun. There, there was one gala he had that was just as bad, but otherwise, they're very nice. Yeah, well, they had the tur- the chicken had gone bad in the in the orders, and that mm-hmm. was a mistake. Yeah, that was a big mistake. It was I a hellfire for 100 days. Yeah. There was a hellfire down there. Is that yeah, what you're exactly. Yeah. We're, we're getting off track to my very uh, <laughs> pointed uh, discussion of the X universe. But I think what what Hickman did was he made so many changes and created a new status quo. But that status quo was built. It was. The X-Men said it was forever, but we knew as X-Readers, this is a temporary situation. This is setting them up for a – they brought the X-Men to great heights, which would predicate a necessary fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like we all knew there were going to be big changes. We knew we were setting up against this battle against humans and the Orcus, and then the Falnix is sort of the final boss at the end of time, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think we all knew there was going to be that. And so uh, he went left the book. All of that happened. It feels like we've been in a stasis point for quite some time. And this book sort of crept a, a, up a do- on me. A doctor stasis point, if you will. That, that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Uh, major characters, I guess. 
A major <laughs> character, maybe. Yeah, no, definitely a major character. Doctor, uh, this is far afield, and then I'll let you get back to it. Doctor Stasis, for anybody who doesn't know, there's basically there Nathaniel Essex. This was established. Just real, real quick before you do this. <laughs> real quick before you do this. <laughs> Real quick, let me explain the continuity of Mr. Sinister. Real quick, it's super easy. <laughs> the, the yeah, I'm going to get right back on track. Yeah, absolutely. There's this guy named Nathaniel Essex who messed around with genetics. He created four clones of himself that all have different suits on their head. The one that we've known for a very long time is just Sinister, who has the diamond on his head. He has been thrown into the pit in Krakoa. There is also Dr. Stasis, who is is the version of Mr. Sinister who has been working with Orcus. There's Mother Righteous, who is actually not a clone of Sinister. He's a, she's a clone of Sinister's wife, or Nathaniel Essex's wife, who <laughs> goes into magic. And then there's an old clone out there that, to be honest, I'm forgetting the name of, but he'll probably pop up at some point soon. Yeah, old um, clones. Let him go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Stasis, I think the best way of thinking about him is while Mr. Sinister has been pretty evil. He's been part of the Kirkoan era. Meanwhile, Dr. Stasis has still been doing the Mr. Sinister stuff on the outside, and that all comes to fruition in this issue. Is that a, is that yeah. a fair way of putting it? Yeah, that's a pretty simple way of uh, putting a character that was one fun character split into four confusing characters and is now down to two who seem important. Is that a <laughs> yeah, fair? Yeah, that's a way to put it. And there's an old guy out there, also maybe important, but who knows? I think these are the rules of Canasta, I believe we're putting out here, <laughs> if I'm being correct. And again, a quick sidebar and a sidebar. This all started because they added a bunch of other colors to the Green Lantern spectrum. And now yeah. everyone's like, what other symbols could this be? Oh, diamond? May as well make a heart club and spade, right, gang? Absolutely. And also, I do want to throw out actually one bit of clarification just for anybody who doesn't remember. And I know we were having a, a ton of discussion about this on our Patreon Slack. There's been a lot of confusion about what Hickman's original plan was because he mm. said one thing at one point in an interview to Entertainment Weekly um, when he said he was leaving the book. There's other stuff that C.B. Sobolski said this a couple of weekends ago at San Diego Comic-Con. But whatever you're, whatever you're prescribing to, Jonathan Hickman came on, redefined the X-Men with Powers of X and House of X, Powers of Ten and House of X for the Krakoan era. He had a some sort of year plan, whether it was a three-year plan, as he said, to EW, or a six-year plan, like C.B. Sapolsky said, or I've heard a four-year plan or a two-year plan at different points, whatever it was, it was a Any plan. Year, a 30-year mortgage, it could be. Exactly. He had a plan. He left midway through that plan, and as far as he described it, everything that we've been reading is kind of like act one-ish of his plan. He had a three-act plan. And they decided to extend it because everybody loved Act 1, this Krakoa era. Where we are now in Hickman's plan, or if we're in Hickman's plan at all, we don't know. No, nobody's explicitly saying one way or another, at least as far as I've read. So is Fall of X the actual end of the Krakoan era? I have some question marks there that I'm sure we'll get to in the podcast, but... It either is the end of Hickman's story that we're headed back to like Westchester and all the kids are going to school or potentially it's continuing in the direction that Hickman was heading, which spoiler alert for my thoughts on this. I do think we're still in that era. I don't think we're at the end here by any means. I have some specific theories on it that we'll get to later. But, Justin, that was two side trips back to you. 
Yeah, just like the X-Men are taking. A massive side trip. trip. This feels like the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. This is where uh, the heroes lose and lose hard, and as we find out in this issue. But I was just saying, like, we were had a stasis point. This is sort of the big exclamation mark that's taking us out of that. And I didn't quite see it coming that it was going to all happen here. The fact that this is kicking off Fall of X, how much further can these folks fall? There is, yeah. is this was a horrible, horribly hard emotional issue to read, especially if we're gonna if dead means dead, mm-hmm. at least in the as long as that dead means dead in the X Men universe. There are a lot of major characters that are not going to be part of the story going forward, at least for a time. This was basically the fire fest of X Men events, is what I would say. Wow. Yeah. Current, and, you know, Gawas, yeah, yeah, I uh, think so. As current as any other we make. What year are we at? What year are we at? Mentally? I don't know. Man. That's the real thing. You never yes. get out of your teens. So the overall plot of this issue is for the third year in a row, even though that's not how Marvel timelines actually work in terms of the comics. I guess they've been having like one gala every two to three months or something like that. Um Regardless, they're throwing a gala. They've invited everybody. They're going to unveil some sort of mutant invention. That's what they've done the previous two years. And instead, in the middle of their gala, before they can do everything, some of the X-Men are distracted by something going on in New York. That goes back to the free comic book day that brought together the... um, uh, not Avengers. Yes. No, no, no. But it's the... Oh, my God. The Unity Squad. Yep. Uncanny Avengers. Yeah. Oh, Uncanny Avengers. Yes, the Uncanny Avengers. And Cyclops gets very hurt there. That turns out to be a distraction to pull some people away. While Dr. Stasis and Moira McTaggart, who is now mostly robot, I'm not even going to get into that, attack them, as well as Nimrod, who now says funny lines, I guess, out loud. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There was a lot of as Mind much as tragic. In, that- yeah. Threw me out as of the tragic, a bit. As tragic as this comic was, there were also a lot of goofy points, which I was mm-hmm. like, okay, sure, let's yeah, go. Yeah, that's fine. But anyway, as far as we can tell, by the end of the book, Charles Xavier, in order to save all of the humans of the world that have had medicine that has been laced with a basically like drive you crazy trigger by Orcus and Dr. Stasis, sends all of the mutants off world through the gates. But as he discovers, he can't feel them anymore. He thinks he sent them through a meat grinder is the way that he literally describes it. And so by the end of the issue, Professor X is left alone. Seemingly most of the mutants in the entire world have been killed once again. And only a few are left because they resisted Charles Xavier's mental suggestion. Those are the mutants that we're going to be following, or most of the mutants we're going to be following through the fall of X event. So that's the overall plot of the thing. Um, My initial gut reaction reading this beyond any of the other plot points was like, Jesus Christ, we're doing a Genosha again? Like, again, we're decimating the mutants? And I understand that is part and parcel with an X-Men event. Like, full disclosure, my first, I started reading X-Men at Fall of the Mutants. And yeah. then Mutant Massacre. Like, those were the two things that I read. So, like... Oh, man. So, you, I, you love this. This is coming home. Well, kind of. But, like, I understand this is hearkening back to that. But I do think, just in terms of scale, there's a difference between, like, oh, my God, these guys are going in to the sewer system to kill all the Morlocks. The X-Men are st- trying to stop them. Characters are changed in seismic ways. 
Uh, Kitty Pride was intangible for a long time and couldn't talk. Heartbreaking. Nightcrawler couldn't bamf because he was so hurt. Colossus was stuck in his metal form. Everybody was like wrecked and ruined by Mutant Massacre. And Fall of the Mutants completely changed the status quo of most of them. It kicked off the Australia era for X-Men, which is, in my mind, one of the best eras. I love yeah, the Australia a era. a weird sort of hairy era where everyone was uh, in different places. Exci- exciting, but that's that stuff is good, I think, for right. the X-Men mythology. But I think there's a difference between that and, oh, God, we killed 14 million mutants, which is like something that very specifically calls to genocide, you know, which yeah. is... To put it lightly, a touchy subject, you know, it's something that they pulled off once with the Genosha stuff. And I don't think it's something that you can go back to multiple times. So initially I was like, why are we doing this? Why, why is this happening? This is awful. I feel awful. I feel terrible reading this book. But as I've said and thought about it, I did think about the stuff that we've been talking about with these other X-Men events where it's a kickoff. Like you said, I think the Empire Strikes Back is the perfect way to push it because there's a lot of mysteries going on here when you think about them where that point to the idea that, okay, Xavier is saying, I can't feel these mutants. I can't hear them in my head. They are clearly dead. That's what's going on here. That is the information we're being told. But There's a lot of outs here, not just Mutant Resurrection, which I think is going to be severely limited. The five are saved, the people who then handle Mutant Resurrection. But I don't think they have the scale to be able to be like, great, we'll just bring back everybody immediately. That's not going to happen. So that limits the X-Men in the event that puts them on their back heels. And what I've eventually come around to after a couple of days of really sitting with it is – that story-wise, the best place for the X-Men is when they're losing. Yeah. They've been winning for four years. This is the place where they've lost. They are the losers, and now they need to fight back. And story-wise, that makes us root for them. That makes us cheer yeah. for them. That makes us want them to win. Well, and especially their, all of their wins that they had at the beginning of the Krakoan era – we didn't really enjoy them. They were sort of just – they all happened at once. It wasn't a real narrative. It was information and mm-hmm. told in a very like cold Hickman-esque way where it's just like we now can do all of these things. Good day. And it, it wasn't – we didn't get to sort of ride with them as we felt their successes. And I think that's what this is going to be about. It's going to be about them being – hated and feared again and they have to sort of rise up this smaller group and and find their way to maybe resurrecting the other mutants or or a a theory that i was thinking that we talked about um that maybe that those portals those gates actually didn't kill the people and they were Mm -hmm. just sent somewhere out of the range of professor x or or something or there's a way i mean forge being here and forge having a new invent i think he he's something he may be part of this mystery and may have done something to stop this from being a true massacre. Yeah, one other thing. Well, I agree with you on the gates. I think assuming they went through the gates and immediately, like, picturing in my head them walking into a literal meat grinder, I think there's more going on there, whether we're going to get an eventual reveal that Apocalypse, for example, who didn't show up here, who seems like he should be a major player, is like, surprise, I took them to Araka, or I took them to Otherworld, or wherever you could sense them yeah. to keep them safe. I feel like that's going to be an eventual reveal. The other thing that's a big question mark for me is Mother, Mother Righteous, who we talked about before, who I believe took a piece of Krakoa and is doing something. And her motivations, true to sinister form, are kind of unknown. 
but she's been somebody that's sort of been straddling the middle, the way that Kieran Gillen in particular has been writing her. Like she is not exactly a villain, not exactly a hero. We don't know what she wants. But the last we saw her in Immortal X-Men, she wanted to help everybody or was yeah. professing to help everybody. So I think there's a possibility that she might have jacked the gates in some way and Orcus and Dr. Stasis planned on sending them into a little meat grinder and kill everybody because of course they would. Of course they don't care. But I think there's a possibility that Mother Righteous used magic or something to send them somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and let's let's talk about a couple other things that I think yeah. maybe raised raised some questions. First off, the Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel gets a lot like the first half of this book mm-hmm. and then and then not much after that. So was this putting a cap on all of the and setting up the Miss Marvel book that is maybe not related to this as much? Or is she now involved in the X-Men in a much larger way? Well, she seems to, based on the descriptions for her series, she's getting a new spinoff series called Miss Marvel, The New Mutant, which is co-written by Molly Villani, who is the actress who plays her on TV, as well as the writer, one of the writers of Miss Marvel, the TV series. And according to the description, she's going to be going on a mission for the X-Men because she is somebody publicly who everybody loves. Maybe it's like an ambassador type mission. I don't exactly know yeah. because obviously we haven't read the issue, but it does seem like she's very much in it. I, I agree with you. It was surprising the amount of real estate that was taken up with Miss Marvel is back. We all love Miss Marvel. Also, Miss Marvel, we know your family thinks you're dead. Don't worry. Hang out at this party for a little bit. It's not a problem. I mean, it's we've all good. been there. That's what it's like to stay out late as a teen. You're like, my family <laughs> thinks I'm dead, but I'm going to hang out a little bit, play some beer pong. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, I also wondered where she went to because she kind of did seem maybe I missed it, but she seemed to disappear halfway through the issue. So yeah. I don't know. I don't. She's definitely part of it now. There's also a question mark. They're like, hmm. Guess you might have mutant powers. Don't know what those could be. Wink, wink. Guess we'll find out later. I have to assume those are her hard light powers from the TV show. Got it. Right? Got to yeah. be, got to be. Yeah, and that's uh, a way – I actually think, to give it credit, I think that's a smart way of straddling the line of not insulting comic book fans by changing her and bigoting powers, which are so iconic and so cool, but still weaving in something from the TV show that people are going to recognize and, frankly, more people have probably seen. And it'll be interesting how those powers work in concert because they're sort of similar but also could be used very differently. So that's mm-hmm. actually a great creative problem for this new team to take over with. Um, another major uh, thing, the death of Jean Grey. And Jean yes. Grey dies very emotionally and like sort of center point here. Um, I think – well, just to talk about how it happens, she talks to a bunch of people as she's fading from the uh, her, her death blow. And she talks to Cyclops, and then she talks to Wolverine. I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Um, and the other caveat to that is, does that mean that Cyclops is going to date White Queen again? Because it's telling the first page <laughs> of this book is them in a like weird swing mm-hmm. set together. Yeah, because they swing. There you go. They swing? Yes. Well, that's true. And that's a part of Krakow we never got to is Sex Moon Base with uh, mm-hmm. Cyclops, Wolverine. It's and- coming. It's coming. This is why I don't think the storyline is over. We still need to see a three-way on the moon. And I think that's it. That's the only <laughs> that's plot the point one. that has The one part that Hickman demanded. Yeah. That's act three. He, yeah, he was said- like, I don't really care about all the phallic's future stuff, which is actually the main goal of the storyline. We got to see three-way on the moon. Fall of X leads directly into fall of sex. <laughs> Perfect. The... 
I don't know if they're going to date. Uh, Jean and Scott seem very, very secure here, other than the fact that she's a skeleton with hair now, which I feel like mm. might be a little bit of a detriment. Not necessarily a breakup, but something that's going to change the relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Jean Grey definitely seems to be a central character. Also, we got that kick-ass Wolverine action sequence, which yeah. is great. Very like cool. You need to see that. That was actually the thing that after this grim slog of an issue, that's probably too mean. But like, it's definitely like it's a grim parade of like, oops, all your favorite characters are dying. Here's the new X-Men. Now here's pieces of them. Well, it's, see- tragi- it's tragedy on tragedy. Yes. To, to, I think because I, I don't think we're down on it. I'm no, at no, least no. I'm not. Absolutely I think it's just not. a lot of tragic things happen jam packed in an issue that's like come party with the X-Men, everybody. <laughs> Yeah. So to get that page of Wolverine doing Wolverine stuff and knowing that you're going to get this classic, like Wolverine's going to be like, ah, screw you. I'm taking down all of you Orcus guys. That's a love. I can't wait for that. And honestly, like I want to just see that for however long this age of X lasts. I hope it's just like (laughs) horrible, like destruction of anything related to Orcus, especially Dr. Stasis. Well, also, I think we get a little bit of that. And this is very much jumping to the end. The post credit sequence, if you will, of Kate finally being able to fall through a gate for the first time. I love that. Very smartly deployed, I would say. So good. So good. Her spending the whole issue being like, ah, I can't get through the gates. I just lean on the gates. I wonder what that feels like. And then falling through it and everybody being like, what is happening? Great moment. Her falling into Orcus headquarters. So given that we've had pirate Kitty Pride for the past couple of years at this point, to see Which her is something wreck shop, I'm very excited about. Agreed. And I've never loved Pirate Kitty Pride. It felt a little like they took one arc, like a one, like, you know, maybe a 12 issue maxi series and made it her whole thing. I was like, I sort of want to get back to her being more of a central X-Men character. This feels like a little bit of a a fanciful side quest. So I'm very happy that she is back where she is. Uh, So definitely looking forward to that. Well deployed. You want to talk about this new X-Men team, Uh, which I can run down the characters because presumably they're, they're going to be the featured characters in the new X book, right? Uh, According to a interview with our friend Jordan D white over at AIPT, I think is the site. He said, no, Mm-hmm. that they are the legitimately elected X-Men through the public vote that Marvel does every year. Juggernaut is going to be featured in the new X-Men book, but yes. because they are limited in terms of resurrection, some of these X-Men are just dead right now. Like they are wow. just squished and dead and not coming back. But do you want to run down the team anyway? Sure. The team that was voted on uh, to give them their due is Talon, Sync, mm-hmm. Prodigy, Cannonball, Frenzy, Jubilee, Dazzler, and Joggernaut. Mm-hmm. Fun team. Fun team. D- different team. Not mm-hmm. your usual even power set breakdown, uh, but exciting, exciting team. I mean, I'd love to see these characters written together because there's just generationally a lot of different people, a lot of different points of view. I would love to see what this was going to be even just a little bit. So she's not on the team, but I did want to call out one of my absolute favorite parts of the issue is what happens to Firestar here. Yeah. Oh, my God. The so Firestar in this issue, she's always been kind of thought of as like, hey, what's your deal? Why are you here? Why are you here on Krakoa? Everybody's very iffy about her. You're a new warrior or whatever. You were on the amazing Spider-Man and Fred show. What are you doing on the X-Men? But she is a mutant. So she's there. 
Jean Grey, with her dying breath, is like, hey, I'm going to change your history with Dr. Stasis so he thinks you've always been a mole with Orcus. Everybody is going to hate you from now on because they're going to think you betrayed them and brought about this destruction of Krakoa. But you got to be there. You got to be inside and you got to help us. And the moment will come when you'll save us. That legitimately was like the most emotionally palpable moments of the issue for me. And Firestar is a character I've never really cared about at all. There was just something about the way that was played between these two characters that was so powerful and heartbreaking. Um, Yeah. I was very impressed by it. I, I've always loved Firestar because uh, I'm a new warriors fan Mm -hmm. and uh, her relationship with Vance Astro, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Mr. Marvel was his name. Sure, probably. Uh, before he later was on uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Vance Astrovic on the original Guardians. He was in a suit for most of his time that preserved him for all of time, and he was a hero that lasted from the current age until the Guardians' age in the far future, the thirty-first century, I believe. And then for a while, he was he took the suit off, so he was aging normally, and he had Captain America's shield and very long hair. Mm. Uh, but and he also quick, has. You were making fun of me for trying to explain Mr. Sinister, right? <laughs> well, I'm just trying uh, to remember he, in my head. Well, this is a clear sidebar. You were like, I have the key to explaining this situation. <laughs> a bunch of nonsense uh, that we love. We love every scrap of this nonsense. Yes, That's of why course, this fantastic. Put it in my meat grinder, I say. Exactly, which is your mouth. Yeah. Uh, Put it in my mouth. The uh, But I was going to say, Firestar, uh, being the central character, a lot of pressure on her. If yeah. I were Jean Grey, I would have been like, and one other ex-person can be a betrayer, too. <laughs> yeah. So you guys can talk. And you, talk. Wolverine, you do this, not yeah. Firestar, please. But, but also, Firestar is still like a, almost a teenager. At least she's mm. not Oh, I wouldn't say she's the most experienced ex-person right. to drop this on. So I, I was surprised that all of their hopes are squarely on Firestar's shoulders. Yeah, but I do love that. I love those big moves. I mean, those are the sort of things you need to do with an event in, to shake things up is take characters who have kind of been in the background, thrust them into the spotlight and see what they do. I mean, I know I'm talking about them as if they're autonomous beings, but I think that's part of the writing process is saying, okay, yeah. Firestar is a character who is interesting. She had that uh, one-shot issue. I think it was one of the giant-sized X-Men, or I, I yeah. honestly don't remember. That was great, really, really well done. So that's the sort of thing that let's emotionally push her as far as possible and see what we can explore, see if we can make her into an A-level character when maybe she's been at best a B or a C. Hundred percent, and I think there's another character that was very which featured in the exact same way here, Wilson Fisk. Yeah, that was very. What is going on with that? Well, I, it Wilson felt like Fisk, that was a lottery. Wilson, yeah, Wilson Fisk. Won. First of all, clearly uh, sent to the wall to take the black in this issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I do love the randomness of that, particularly him together with Emma Frost makes a certain amount of sense to me in terms of like they're villains who are trying to do something new. The the last place continuity wise of people that haven't been reading Daredevil or anything is Kingpin basically left to be married to Typhoid Mary. And he was like, everybody, yeah. please leave me alone. Goodbye. Yeah, and he's like, I'm done with this. And now he's like, I go to parties with the X-Men and I wreck shit. I'm with them. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, cool. All right. Daredevil's in hell and Wilson Fist <laughs> is basically an X-Man now. Okay. <laughs> this makes sense. We live. Again, I like that just for the bizarre incongruity of having him there. Very curious to see how that pans out. 
Agreed. Uh, I don't know how much forward that felt like it could be just something like it was weird. That it's like in real life when you're like, oh, yeah, you were at that party. You're not a part of this group, but you were there. <laughs> and that's what we got Wilson Fisk for. I think he could continue. I'm sure there's a way he will come back, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it could also be left right where Well, I assume he's part of the group that was taken to the Hellfire Club, which is where Emma yes, Frost ends up. The basement. And I love that idea, too. The Hellfire yeah. Club being the safe house away from Orcus that they could operate from. That's a cool idea. That's a fun throwback, particularly when they don't have Kokoa, they don't have the treehouse, they probably don't have Westchester, they don't have any of the regular haunts. To have this place of resistance around the Hellfire Club seems very cool to me. Well, it's funny you mentioned the treehouse. When as soon as that was established, I was like, "This place is getting wrecked. This is a mess." <laughs> Downtown Manhattan treehouse. I was like, "This would get wrecked in the real world." Like, yeah. what are we talking? Of course, it's, it's gonna also get funny. And maybe we'll see this pan out in some way. But it's funny that Orcus is like, "We're going to take care of the treehouse and not like the little representation of hell that Madeline Pryor is living in." Yeah, that's uh-huh. in the middle of New York. That seems a little more dangerous. I would take care of that threat first. Well, it's an embassy. As we learned in the recent issue of uh, what is the Hollow's Eve? Hollow's Eve, uh, yeah. That there's the uh, uh, limbo has an embassy that's just a straight up random building in uh, Manhattan. Love it. Yeah. Uh, love the prominence of Rogue here. Uh, mm-hmm. Great to see her being like a true badass hero here and uh, saving Professor X or also dooming him weirdly. Um, and the way Professor X ends this issue is just puts it all squarely on his shoulders. A character that has been purposefully shielded physically and emotionally from all of the rest of the X-Men and us, the readers, he's been like sort of this almost uh, lowercase S sentinel uh, there in the, in the X world, just like saying stuff, but we don't ever know what's happening. And to see him truly shattered and at his emotional end, basically, I thought was a, a smart way to sort of use the absence of him to, to great effect. Well, and it's a classic X-Men thing, right? That Xavier screws up, he messes up, and he ruins everything. And he thinks he's doing the right thing, but ultimately he does the wrong thing for mutant kind, which gets into, there's a couple of other little things that I want to talk about on the side before we wrap up here, but gets into, I think, the big takeaway from the comic book is was Professor X right or was he wrong to negotiate yeah. with Orcus? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I think we are supposed to see it as wrong. We, mm-hmm. I think we see it as, I understand why he did it, but like, it's a tough, it's a tough spot. I think, mm-hmm. um, I think at the end of the day, it is going to be the right choice because other X-Men were moving um, to make things happen. But I think it's very much the wrong choice in this issue. And it also, I'm torn, honestly. I think it gets to the central thing of the X-Men going all the way back to the beginning of the conflict between Professor X and Magneto and us being in the real world as readers, knowing how things turn out versus how you act in a comic book. And what Professor X is doing here is he's being the hero, right? He's being the guy who's like... No matter what, we have to save these humans. He doesn't realize that he's going to be betrayed because he still thinks the best in people, even Dr. Stasis at this point, and ultimately he loses everything. Versus a Magneto in that position, if Magneto was around, he'd be like, nope, no way is this going to happen. And we know with the hindsight of being readers and the fact that 
no matter what, in the long run, reading X-Men, humans will always hate them no matter what. You will never yeah. reach Professor X dream of mutants and humans living in harmony. That's just not going to happen. So you know that Magneto technically would do the right thing. But I think there is still a part of me that's like rooting for Professor X, even though he may have killed 14 million people, because you want to believe in that dream, right? Well, I also think there are a lot of characters that need some redemption, on, on especially at the center of the X-Men. Professor X is a big one. I think a lot of people don't like Professor X from decades now of <laughs> like bad choices that he's almost exclusively known for. Uh, Cyclops, another character that could use some great redemption that I hope I always like Cyclops. A lot of people hate Cyclops. A lot of people on this podcast hate Cyclops. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think we not Cyclops needs some redemption. Guess yeah, who not is. you? Yeah, guess. Guess. Who guess. In the comments, light us up. Uh, <laughs> but say, same for Jean Grey. She dies here, but like I, I'd like to see her as a more. She sort of become the Professor X figure who's like just, you know, psychically doing stuff, but is above it all. And we haven't Mm -hmm. been able to like experience what she actually thinks and feels. And I I would like more of that uh, for her. I think Beast needs some redemption. I'd like to see some more Wolverine, like emotional life stuff happen rather than Mm -hmm. just him uh, fighting a hundred Wolverines and a hundred beasts. Love that arc over in the Wolverine book, but I, I wanted this core X-Men team, the core characters to be back together, figuring stuff out. I would say on that note, this is pivoting off of what you said a little bit. I think the thing that makes me most excited coming out of here is versus this Krakoa era, we haven't had a clear villain hero dichotomy and we're comic book fans. That's what we love. That's why we're drawn yeah. to this thing to begin with. And you hate Dr. Stasis and Orcus so much by the end of this book. You are so bad and so angry and you just want the X-Men to get out of this and figure out a way to take the fight back to them. That's emotionally where you want to be reading a comic book. You want to feel something and whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, whether it's love, whatever that big emotion is, that's what I got from this. So in my mind, that's a success because It made me feel something. It made me invested. It made me want to read the next books um, and see what they do. Uh, That's great. Agreed. Plus, as Orcus as a villain, it's got you got dudes in red aim looking hats that we can just (laughs) see get killed by the hundreds. Then you got actual even more like generals, sort of like Star Wars style uh, imperial people who are just like, well, let's get them too. And then Mm. your big dogs at the top, Nimrods, robots direct, like. This is a great fodder for a lot of X-Men wrecking shit stories. Yeah, which we haven't had for a really long time. Like, X of Swords wasn't that. That was, was, hey, let's get married to some of them and collect a bunch of swords. And most of the Krakoa era, we've certainly had a bunch of fun action and big stuff going down. But there hasn't been quite the clear good versus evil thing that we've been – I think – not to talk for Pete, who isn't on the podcast, but what Pete has been missing from X-Men is a clarity of good versus bad. Exactly. I think think that's what we're going to end up with here. Like, that's where we're heading towards. We talked about the last issue of Immortal X-Men, where Professor X was like, oops, we screwed up. Oh, no, we put Mr. Sinister on the team. Why do we do that? How do we get out of this? And I think, probably, I was going to say for better or for worse, but almost definitely for worse, this is how they get out of it. This is how they have the shock to the system that gets them into whatever the next stage is. A couple of quick things I wanted to call out before uh, we wrap up here. Love the red triangle resist thing. That's so just cool. A, 
Just a very cool design it. thing. Um, that was great. Iceman dying was, I think, the worst one. Oh, well, you felt it. The art, art across the board in this issue was great. And while we're throwing compliments around the fashion, I feel like they put a lot mm-hmm. of effort into the literal fashion design for the gala, every one. And that's fantastic. I love that great depth of work. Particularly, I loved Cyclops's costume that rips into his superhero costume as he's going yes. into action. Very fun. And uh, the sorry, Iceman was a horrifying death because like Jean Grey's, it was long, but his was visually horrifying at the same time. It was emotionally horrifying. Yeah. The uh, the ambassador to Ireland, the ones just like, hey, I didn't die. That was Declan Shalvey, apparently. Hilarious. Very fun. Um, I didn't get to say this earlier, but at the end of the book, uh, Professor X's job is beach. Shouts out to the Barbie movie. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Uh, you think you. that's Just where they were going? Yeah, Good. probably. It's a, it's a tie-in. Uh, and the last thing, this is the biggest question that the book left me with, uh, is where is Cypher? What's going on with Cypher? Ah, uh, that is the real question. I mean, uh, though we just saw he was vanished, right? That that actually, like, I'm joking because I always want to talk about Cypher, but a big question mark at the end here, another mystery for me is like, What's going on with Krakoa? Krakoa doesn't say anything about any of the stuff that's going on here. And Krakoa took Cypher and threw him somewhere to keep him safe where nobody else could reach him. Does that tie into where everybody else is? Did Krakoa send everybody through the gates? Is Cypher there like with the Reb- everybody who was sent through these gates. I don't know. I think there's something there in tying that stuff together. That's really interesting. Uh, I had forgotten that Cypher was hidden by the island. And I mean, Professor X is on the island. I think you could either, uh, either Cypher's out there becoming sort of the new Professor X mm-hmm. uh, with much less ability to do anything, uh, <laughs> right. but, or, or he's going to be the person that emerges to, to talk to Professor X, which I think is actually a great, and the two of them have to sort of reckon with what's happened. I mean, that's kind of his role at this point, is he yeah. is the avatar for the island. He already kind of did that calling out Professor X in a really great emotional way in that Immortal yeah, X Men. That was a great you. issue. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, so wherever this is going, I'm very excited. Uh, before we wrap up here, the next two issues, which are coming out this week, again, as we're taping, are X-Men number 25 and Astonishing Iceman number one. I'm very excited to check those out. I'm very nervous to see if things, like you said at the beginning, get worse somehow. Yeah. They could easily. It's the fall has just begun. You know, when it, it is the worst when you trip and you're like, oh, I'm falling. That's the worst, mm-hmm. the beginning. And then the end is when you hit the ground. So I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, and I will say uh, that um, we're definitely going to talk about these. I don't know if we'll talk about them on the Stack Podcast or do like a dedicated Fall of X mini-sode like this mm. every week. Um, th- let that us could know. be cool. Yeah, let us know yeah. what you think. Hit us up, comicbookclublive at gmail.com. Let us know if you would like to see separate Fall of X episodes in addition to our regular podcasts. Or if just, you know, leave it alone. Just talk about it on the live just show. Just leave it alone. Just leave, leave it us alone. alone. Leave us on the island crying with our little helmet in the surf. Yeah. Maybe, like, don't don't pick up the water, though, because that's salt water, so he shouldn't drink that. Oh, maybe he that's next issue. He, he should, should have, have a Corona. Pop a Corona with Snoop Dogg or whatever the commercial yeah. is. 
Corona comes to Krakoa. It's right there. It's right there. It's right on the surface. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about the fall of X. Apple, Spotify, not Stitcher, because Stitcher is going away at the end of August. Please, if you're subscribed there, subscribe elsewhere. We're on all major platforms. At Comic Book Live on Twitter or X, if you prefer Comic Book Club Whoa. Live on on Instagram and TikTok, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Professor X's job is beach. <laughs> our usual sign off to the short step. Baby.